Welcome to the Business of Agriculture, the podcast where we talk about important issues, topics, headlines impacting the business of food, fuel, and fiber. I am your host, Damian Mason. As ever, a good show for you with good, usable information and also provocative topic. Got a really, really, I think, an interesting topic because it's something we haven't covered yet in my foray into podcasting, and I got probably the foremost expert on it. Today we are talking about agricultural innovation. Yes, I'm a pro-innovative guy. Yes, I'm pro-technology. Yes, I am pro-modern agriculture. Some people in our society, some people in the media, some people who protest what we do, don't like this stance. Some people, fueled by nostalgia, Norman Rockwell images, I'm not sure what it is, Courier and Ives, maybe it's just a bad media position, think that we should still be in the land of Old McDonald's Farm. But we're not there, and you know this because you are in the business of agriculture. So we're going to talk about innovation in agriculture, particularly as it relates to genetically modified organisms. Oh, yes, I just said it, GMOs. We have not talked about GMOs yet in the Damian Mason Business of Agriculture podcast. You're going to be getting it today. We're going to talk about a double standard. Why is it that technological advancement, why is it that technological advancement in food is almost maligned by many in the modern world, if we are talking about, say, Canada, Australia, Western Europe, that bars GMOs, why is it that we ban, bar, we, we talk badly about, we misportray technological innovation in food while we also are hailing Elon Musk and what he's doing over there at Tesla? We're going to talk about the future of agriculture. We've got a visionary guy here with us who's going to actually give us his thoughts on the vision of the future of agriculture. And we're going to talk to... All these topics with, I'd say, one of my best guests that I've had yet to date. He's a client. He's a friend. He's actually a pretty impressive gentleman, an agricultural innovator, an entrepreneur, a business person. He's a speaker as well. He sold, after he started it 20 years ago, Agritrend up in Alberta. His name is Rob Sayek. Rob is with me today. We met a couple, two or three years ago. I was introduced to him uh, via social media by other people that knew his stance on modern agriculture, knew his position, knew also what he did. And people kept saying, have you talked to this Rob Say guy? So I connected with him on social media. Turns out that he then he hired me. And it was actually after he saw me do an event in Omaha, Nebraska. So here I am. I'm sitting down with Rob Say. Rob, welcome to the Business of Agriculture. Well, thanks, Damien. It's going to be a great show today. We're going to talk about some provocative and interesting and challenging thoughts, aren't we? I think we are, and we already introduced the topic. Okay, you're joining in, and I also always promise my listeners you're going to get something you can use, whether it's a talking point, whether it's some data, whether it's maybe even a lesson you can take home to your own business. But if you are involved in the business of agriculture, stay tuned, because right now we're going to head full tilt into this podcast about agricultural innovation. All right, Rob, is there anything I missed? I said you're an Albertan. You are Canadian. You started, you founded Agritrend 20 years ago. You sold it to Trimble. You have international credibility in agriculture, in my opinion. You own land in Uganda. You uh, built this company into an agricultural, shall we say, consulting company that's made a lot of people a lot of money in modern agriculture. What else did I miss? You uh, you got most of it there. I, I'm very passionate about speaking out about agricultural technology. So um, I think the uh, thing right from the start I wanted to convey to your listeners is um, as Agritrend, as the founder of Agritrend, we provided uh, coaching services to farmers. I also built a data company 
acquired by Trimble in 2015, and we're celebrating our 20th anniversary. And uh, through the course of that whole uh, growth, uh, it's important for your listeners to understand that we provided consulting or coaching services, and it was not tied to the sale of crop inputs. So I'm not sitting here uh, because I'm selling seed or fertilizer or chemical and not buying grain and not selling equipment. Uh, we've made our living by providing professional, unbiased, independent advice to farmers. And uh, that gives us a real good opportunity. We work with all kinds of farmers. I work with organic farmers. I work with conventional farmers. And I work with genetic engineering farmers. And it's important to state that while you are from Alberta and your headquarters are or were there, you also have an international footprint. Your job was in, in your business, your, your method of, of growing the business was to make agriculture more productive, more efficient, more profitable through technology. Yeah, I know it's amazing where agriculture has taken me from a small farm in northeastern Alberta, but we expanded AgriTrend. Uh, we expanded AgriTrend to be uh, right across uh, North America, all the way down to Texas and Mississippi. Uh, so I've done a lot of work through the United States, worked in Mexico, um, Argentina, been down a, had projects down in Australia, Kazakhstan, Russia, the Middle East, uh, and you mentioned already, I've worked in Nigeria, Kenya, and we have a farming operation in Uganda. So a uh, pretty diverse background. Okay. You and I both stances on modern agriculture. That's why we were introduced. You are a modern agricultural proponent, as am I. Now, fine, if it wants to be organic, if it wants to be pin-free, cage-free, pasture-based, whatever, I say that's all fine. Those are value-added innovations. But through and through, I say, all right, why is there a double standard? If Ford Motor Company comes out tomorrow with a F-150 that weighs 700 pounds less because they made it out of aluminum, which they did, which maybe uses seven gallons less of fuel per mile on the highway, which I think they did. Uh, that's a good thing. And they learn how to make it more efficiently and also make it more user-friendly through technology. The, the customer base hails this as accomplishment. Great! We don't want those F-150s from 1980. We don't want those F-150s from 1970. Oh, they're cool collector items, but it's not what we want. But by golly, when we do this in agriculture, we face a little bit of resistance. We face a little bit of criticism. And I think that we really need to kind of get over that. Why does the double standard exist? I think the double standard exists for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is uh, that the populace in general is further removed from the farm than they ever have been before. You know, it's, it's common knowledge that, uh, common statistic rather, that about 2% of North Americans grow the food for the other 98%. But even that statistic is skewed because the farmers of consequence are really about 0.25% of the population. In other words, 0.25% of the population grows the food for the, uh, for the population. Uh, so they, they, that 0.25% grows about 80% of the food. And, and those guys are kind of nose down, butt up, just growing food. And, and so consequently, uh, the generations from, removed from the farming operation, even if people you talk to people, they say they got a connection to the farm. It's usually grandma and grandpa, and they have some kind of nostalgic look on that. So the first thing is we've got a, a, a separation of, of consumers from what's really going on in the farm. The second thing is that because of this nostalgia, and agriculture is guilty of portraying this, uh, we've got you know these images of the little red barn and the images of a round fendered uh, stepside pickup truck and a farmer in bib overalls with a straw hat on and a straw hanging out of his mouth. And I'm sorry to say, but that's not agriculture today. So uh, people have uh, a disconnection. I, I recently got my genome sequenced by the Dr. Craig Ventner 
uh, Institute uh, called the Human Nucleus Institute, La Jolla, California, and I show my uh, 24 chromosomes in my that make up my the bulk of my genomic complex, and I can show them inside the chromosomes. I can show them where I have genetic defects, and yes, I I do, Damien, have a couple genetic defects, and 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 where, for example, I'm not celiac. I I don't have a intolerance to gluten, and and people are fascinated by seeing that. But you try to bring that into agriculture, and people just freak out, man. Now, people don't that are in the business. It's our customer base that has the fallen for the fear, and you can say. It's because of ignorance. I think it's important, Rob, that we, by the way, you're joining us for the Business of Agriculture podcast. And if you haven't noticed already, if you just somehow were uh, distracted by your cell phone, I'm with Rob Sayek, foremost authority on GMOs and agricultural innovation. And why we have this double standard, in my opinion, you hit on it really hard. I think we do have Everybody talks about advocacy. Oh, we need to be better advocates, which isn't even really a word. It's mm. advocates, and it's ag advocacy. But what I think we need to do is say, all right, pumpkin patches and straw mazes aren't modern agriculture. <laughs> no. When people say, oh, we're going to have to bring people out from the city, and we're going to let them see what we're all about. We're going to do hay rides, straw mazes, and pumpkin patches. Those are cute. Those are neat little things to do in October. Uh, but you know what? That is not demonstrating what agriculture is today. It's a business, which is why we have this podcast. It's also using amazing amounts of technology. Arguably outside of Silicon Valley, outside of high tech, uh, we are using innovative stuff that a lot of industries really are still not even at our level. Okay, you pointed it out. You keep showing a picture of a little red barn and a guy in his bib overalls. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, it doesn't, believe it or not, it doesn't speak to nostalgia to our customers. It also, it also it mis it misportrays what we are. You know, Ford Motor Company, to use that example again, they might show the Model T to say, here's where we were. <laughs> and then they'll put <laughs> right up there the hot new Mustang. Yep. Okay. You've been actively engaged or enraged about this opposition to ag innovation. Uh, you said, why is there such opposition? Tell me another reason in your opinion, comparing it to other industries, is there anything else you see why we face this, whereas the other industries do not? Okay. So when it comes to genetic engineering or the misnomer of GMO, genetically modified organisms, uh, people, uh, particularly those selling against it, have to create fear. And so you don't have to go very far. And I'm not talking here about fear created by the organic farmer. Uh, that's not what I'm talking I'm, I'm talking here about the organic industry. And you cannot create fear. I just was in a, re uh, a grocery store the other day, and organic milk was 386% more money. 386% more money. Peppers were 65% more money. For what? For the fear that somehow the, the regular peppers are bad for you and these organic peppers are somehow good. And this is interesting because, in fact, all of agriculture, Damien, wants to farm more organically. Let me repeat that. All of agriculture wants to farm more organically. There is not a farmer out there that wants to use more pesticides than he has to. There's not a farmer out there that wants to stroke a check for more fertilizer than simply they have because to. simply because of the input cost. cost. Yeah, simply yeah. because of input cost. And that's a great one. By the way, if you're taking notes, if you're driving down the road, pull over and jot that one down. Great great talking point for you to use. So here's the thing. Nobody in agriculture wants to be less organic. We all want to be more organic. Yeah, because it's less money. So here's the thing, Damien. So the only science that I see on the horizon that could make all farmers more organic is genetic engineering. 
because genetic engineered plants would allow us to use less pesticides, less insecticide, for example, in Bt. They would allow us to breed plants to extract more nutrients out of the soil. So here's the kicker. Why did the organic movement become the anti-GMO movement? Because it makes no sense. It became an anti-science movement in terms of scientific breeding technology, which paradoxically still endorses mutagenesis, which is mutation through nuclear radiation. So let me repeat that. So you can, you can mutate a seed using nuclear radiation, and that's how Rio Red grapefruits were generated. Mm -hmm. And that can be paradoxically labeled organic, but flick three genes off in an apple and stop it from going brown, and people lose their minds. So the only reason that the organic movement has become the anti-GMO movement is follow the money. Yeah, and uh, if you're paying attention here, and remember, we even had an organic farmer on here uh, two months ago. We're not anti-organic. We will be on this show anti-fraud. Now, I'll talk about the non-GMO verified project mm. where they will extort money and you uh, give them money and then they'll come in allegedly and inspect what you do and the stamp of this thing on there. I've seen non-GMO verified labels on uh products that are bananas. I've seen them on things that are couldn't be genetically modified to begin with. And what you just talked about is it's fear and ignorance. You've got a project, you've got a movie that your son Nick uh, produced because he is uh, a showbiz kind of guy, a videography kind of guy. Tell me about your project. Yep. Well, the project uh, started about four years ago when I got really upset as to what I was seeing in the marketplace, the lies, basically. You said the non-GMO project. I call it butterfly bullshit because if you pick up a, a, a bottle of avocado oil with the butterfly on it, that's bullshit because there is no uh, genetically modified avocado oil. So they slap this butterfly on there and they vilify uh, orange juice and apple juice and cranberry by they they vilify non they vilify GMO by slapping a non GMO label on products so, that couldn't even be GMO because we don't even have, have we don't even we haven't even advanced to the point where we do not have genetically modified and let's, oranges and let's pray we do get a genetically engineered uh, orange because right now there is no saving the citrus industry in Florida it's gone it's extinct because of citrus greening. And the only cure that we see on the horizon is a genetically engineered cure. Is citrus greening a blight? Uh, citrus greening is a virus that affects the oranges and is decimating the Florida oranges. So a number of years ago, we started a project called the No GMO Project, K-N-O-W, to understand it, to have knowledge about uh, GMO. And if you go online to nogmo.ca, you will find our project there. And we're producing vignettes and we're producing material for classrooms. And the ultimate goal is to uh, have uh, material uh, webisodes and, and materials available eventually, maybe even a full-scale documentary. But uh, we're producing lots of material there to bring education and common sense to the discussion around genetic engineering. Give Okay, you're listening right now. You're saying, man, I'm really, Damien, I'm glad you have Rob Saik on right now. I'm glad you're giving me this stuff. First off, you can keep up with him. It's at Rob Saik, S-A-I-K on Twitter, right? Yeah, at R-Saik. R-Saik. At R-Saik, S-A-I-K, R-S-A-I-K on Twitter, and uh, Robert Saik, S-A-I-K dot com on, on the internet. And here's what you got to realize. You, you're out here saying, wait a minute, I'd love to be able to tell people at my back patio or when I'm on vacation when they say, oh, I don't want those GMO foods. One thing we just uh, heard here from Rob that you can take to your next spring break with non-ag people. 
if you are opposed to chemical usage, if you are opposed to pesticide usage, you should be pro-genetic engineering. Because through genetic engineering, we have made resistance to things like citrus greening. We have made resistance to corn cutworms. And and uh, in Africa, I mean, uh, the bacterial welt and banana. So there, there could be and there should be uh, GMO bananas in the marketplace. We can fortify rice with beta carotene. I'll give you one more uh, from America. So this is an American invention. So right now, uh, tomatoes. Uh, our, uh, tomatoes are attacked by a blight, tomato blight. Did you know we spray tomatoes up to 44 times? with either organic or synthetic uh, fungicides to try to keep the blight off. 44 times. So here's your choice, Damien. You can have a tomato that you spray 44 times, up to 44 times to keep the tomato blight off, or we take one gene from sweet pepper, put it in tomato, 100% control, and yields go up. That pepper, that tomato exists today. One gene from sweet pepper inside tomato, no blight. That exists at the University of Florida today. So, could, so you listeners out there, you got a choice. 44 sprays or one gene from sweet pepper in tomato. What's your choice? Yet no tomato grower in America will take on that tomato because they're afraid of the anti-GMO backlash and, and what they have to take on to try to bring that to marketplace. Isn't that sad? It was just three years ago, Dr. Oz, who I talk about commonly because he is a televised fraud. He is a televised quack who was Oprah's little bitch. Dr. Oz had a big episode about GMOs, and he, he's, he's so ignorant about food production. He said, they are spraying these GMOs onto your food, which is interesting. He thought... GMOs were a chemical. Versus, Capital L for loser. <laughs> he thought he thought GMOs were a were a chemistry versus an actual breeding process. Breeding process. Yeah. And then the other thing is, uh, he shared on his television show, and I actually went and researched it that we were injecting salmon genes into uh, tomatoes, and that they're yeah. The only way you get that done is on Photoshop, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and that we were going to be uh, getting salmon uh, fish genes in our tomatoes at the grocery store, and there are actually. Uh, no GMO tomatoes on the market right now. Talking to Rob Sayek here on the Business of Agriculture podcast. What's next for GMO technology, Rob? You talk about bananas. Anything else you see? Yeah, there's lots of potential. Like in Africa right now on our farm in Uganda, uh, Uganda just passed a biotech bill, so hopefully we can get BT corn on there. We've stopped growing corn on our farm in Uganda because we sprayed it four to six times with insecticides. The corn borers decimated the crop to the point where we can't combine it with a combine. We have to harvest the corn by hand. And so that's just not economically feasible. So Uganda just passed a law. Uh, one of the real big crops in Uganda is uh, cassava. Again, a, pro- a crop that most people listening wouldn't understand. But if you've eaten uh, tapioca pudding, you've had uh, cassava. It's a staple crop attacked by a, a brown streak mosaic in Africa. And there's a there's a GMO solution. No, it's not a Monsanto GMO solution. It's a Ugandan scientist GMO oh, solution. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, who, are, who are the marchers against Monsanto going to rally? around and against if it's not Monsanto. Well, Believe it or yeah. not, ladies and gentlemen, that's the other thing you can tell your friends on spring break. You can tell your friends that are over for Christmas holidays that all GMOs do not equate to Monsanto technology. They equate to scientific advancements in the business of agriculture. Talking about the business of agriculture with my friend Rob Saik. Saik, we're going to continue here. couple thoughts. First off, I've already said this. I believe the GMO debate is actually waning. I believe it is less strong today than it was five years ago, only because I, and I said this also about the labeling laws. I said label away. 
because eventually they will become ubiquitous. Everything, Eminem Mars proved this, they put on their labeling, product may contain genetically engineered food ingredients. Yeah, just recently I was on a plane uh, coming down to the United States. WestJet actually picked up uh, WestJet in-flight magazine and the papaya industry from Hawaii just did a brilliant ad. And uh, the, the first successful GMO crop actually was papaya. And it's, again, not, nothing to do with Monsanto. It was a bunch of scientists at Cornell University that figured out how to use GMO technology to stop the ring spot virus in papaya and generated something called the rainbow papaya. So when you go to Hawaii and eat papaya today, it is a genetically engineered uh, papaya. Now, the brilliant thing about the ad was they said, we're coming out of the closet, proudly GMO. And it was in uh, an airline magazine. So I applaud uh, the Hawaiian farmers for coming out and saying they're proudly GMO. And they've been that way since 2000. So if you've been eating a Hawaiian papaya, you've been eating a genetically engineered papaya that is resistant to the ring spot virus. It doesn't have to be sprayed with insecticide. So I believe, Damien, as we get more of these examples, eventually consumers that have half a brain are going to start to wake up and understand that it's a science movement and uh, and not some kind of Frankenstein movement. I, I pointed out a long time ago that the best argument, and it, it, it's, I don't think ag fights well. I say this to all my we audiences. Don't. We don't fight well because we use ridiculous uh, things like science or we, we, you know, we bring out people in bib overalls and talk about our red barns and, and old McDonald's farm, and that's not where the business is right now. I said, you want to make an argument about this? Quite simply, what you said, 44 treatments with chemical or one gene from a sweet one pepper. gene from a sweet pepper, and you just answered why you should be pro genetically modified food. A um, couple thoughts about the current situation in agriculture. Any thoughts about this? I mean, I, I think things are pretty good. I think we're adopting innovation and technology. I think we're actually less worried about uh, consumer backlash through the fringe groups. Uh, for things like innovation, but we also don't fight well. What's your thoughts? Well, I, I still am very concerned. I just uh, uh, saw a recent study, uh, Canadian consumers, and uh, one of the number one things they're worried about in food is uh, hormones and meat production. And so, I mean, this is thrown out all the time, you know, a hormone, anti, no hormones in chicken, no hormones in pork. Well, shit, we've never used or haven't for 50 years hormones in pork or chicken production. And uh, and, and, and in beef production, there's no uh, added hormones by the time it gets to your hamburger. It's like 0.4 of a nanogram, which is like half a billionth. Uh, a billionth is like one second in 32 years. There's more estrogen in the French fries that you're going to eat than in some kind of non-hormone burger patty. Uh, it's just, uh, it, there's a lot of nonsense out there, Damien. I'm still concerned that uh, that we've got a long way to go. And these fringe movements are very, very vocal and agriculture is very, very silent. Another thing is interesting. We're a little flat-footed. We're not silent. We We almost are... When we do voice our opposition to the opposition, we come out with uh, a bad argument. We're like, we're like the relative that sits at the table every holiday and gets schooled by the liberal arts kid that comes home in his ninth year of college that smokes weed and reads something, uh, you know, and, and some, uh, <laughs> some ulterior source and just beats the hell out of us at the dinner table, and he doesn't even have a leg to stand on. He's just a better fighter than us. But he asked for a check to go back to school. Well, of course, he also yeah. uses emotion, he uses fear, and he uses illogic and not economics. But I think that we need to stand up. You know, an interesting thing in that survey was consumers, by and large, do not trust agriculture. Consumers, by and large, really, really trust farmers. Mm. So that's kind of interesting paradox, is they trust farmers, but they have a distrust about agriculture. 
And I, I don't know what that separation happened in the consumer's psyche, but it exists. And as a farmer uh, who produces food, when you see something on social media, for God's sakes, you got to say, hey, uh, what you're saying is incorrect. And you may have to swallow hard or breathe, you know, take a deep breath and, and type that thing out. But there are so many people watching that conversation. Mm -hmm. And you are, as a farmer, the most credible source of information. You're the most trusted source of information. And and consumers do. The consumers very seldom lash out against a farmer. Yeah, I mean, I get lash out on my thing, but I also have the the, the more rational people that send me private messages and say, "Hey, I got this person that tried to tell me this. Is this true? You know, something like." Oh, well, that's just because you got an abrasive personality. Well, I do have an abrasive personality. <laughs> where they say, "Are you are you giving uh, hormones to chickens? No, that's not happening." Blah 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 blah. Okay, I thought that maybe this person didn't know what they're talking about. Well, who are you talking to? Well, it's the assistant. To, to the art teacher in my elementary school. Well, okay. that's, yeah, education yeah. system is a big problem. <laughs> we do have a real problem in our education system where they are uh, somewhat anti-ag without any of the information. Talking to Rob Saik, ag innovator, entrepreneur, founder of AgriTrend, smart guy, agriculturist, speaker, business guy. Any closing thoughts you want to share about the innovation, the future of agriculture, genetically modified organisms, etc.? The floor is yours. The mic is yours. Share it with our audience that joins us for this educational podcast. Well, what I see, Damien, is I see agriculture moving to something called Agriculture 5.0. And if we, if we think about agriculture in five iterations, the first one really was oxen and horse and manual labor. The second iteration was tractors. The third one was fertilizer and chemical. And the fourth one was bioengineering, biotech or GMOs. The fifth one now, I think, is called convergence on the farm, where we're having all of this technology, automation, augmented reality. You've got massive amounts of data uh, uh, connected to artificial intelligence, connected to sensor technology, connected to, connected to, connected to data, connected to your smartphone. And agriculture uh, is rocketing ahead right now. And I'm very excited about what I think is Agriculture 5.0 because it's going to take advantage of all of the first four iterations of agriculture. It will leverage uh, genetic engineering. It will leverage fertilizer and chemical by allowing us to put on only what we need, where we need it, when we need it. And I think that uh, the, the age of agriculture uh, is very, very exciting. And it will continue to be fraught with misunderstanding. Uh, because, again, the amount of uh, people that actually can farm um, uh, and actually know how to farm is, is a smaller percentage producing more food. And if you ask most people in the city what the hell a three-point hitch is, they wouldn't have no clue. They wouldn't know what a, uh, what a, you know, what a, a, a flexible frame is or on-row packing. They have no clue about that stuff. But nevertheless, I am excited about the Agriculture 5.0, Convergence on the Farm. Uh, it's going to take advantage of bioengineering. It's going to take advantage of uh, variable rate technology. I'm, I'm excited about that. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I've, I, one of my memes I put out was that the future of agriculture combines the most current technology we have this second with practices from everything we've learned, including organic, including exactly. the, the horse, all that stuff. We're talking about improving organic matter. We talk about using grid sampling on our fields to now pinpoint where the nutrients go. We're talking about keeping excess nutrients out of our waterways yep. by just simple erosion control, buffer strips, etc., but also by placing it where it needs to be. I'm more excited than I, I agree with you. I, I think the future is very, very bright. We're going to continue to do very well. I love your concept of agriculture 5.0. 
You're listening to the Business of Agriculture, the podcast where we discuss issues, topics, headlines impacting you and everyone involved in the business of food, fuel, and fiber and farming. I'll do it again with you. I'm Damian Mason, your host. Thank you, Rob Sake, for being with us. If you want to keep up with him, once again, where should they go and check out your stuff? Well, Robert Syke, S-A-I-K dot com. They can go to the No GMO Project at no, K-N-O-W, G-M-O dot C-A. And they can also check us out at agritrend.com, agritrend.com. Thank you very much. Brilliant guest. Uh, I love it. I'm going to write down Agriculture 5.0. I'm going to write down your point about hormones. And my favorite one, and I think it is our listeners too, excuse the language, uh, Butterfly Bullshit, the non-GMO verified <laughs> project, which is basically an extortion racket to uh, put their label on a product that probably wouldn't have contained GMOs anyhow. You're listening to the Business of Agriculture. Thanks a lot. Come back again. We will do it here as we always do. We'll keep it interesting. Thank you for joining me.